Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I used to love watching Fresh Prince uh, when I was growing up. Used to watch it all the time. Just seemed to be on TV all the time when I was when I was growing up. And I watched it so much that to this day, even though it's probably 20 years since I last watched an episode, I can still sing that intro theme tune in its entirety, word for word, from memory. So I don't know what that tells you. Maybe I watched it a little bit too much. Um, but yeah. Now, if any of those, for those of you who haven't watched it, which again, it's probably not many people, Fresh Prince is centered on Will Smith who's from a poor area of Philadelphia. He gets in trouble with some local youths, so his mum sends him to Bel Air, which is an incredibly wealthy part of Los Angeles, to live with his rich aunt and uncle and their family. And the the whole show is basically centred. You've got this young working-class kid who gets sent to live with his upper-class relatives, and there's just so many really funny incidents that, that happen in that. But the show basically is all about relationships, and the way they work out, particularly in the family, which is what I want to talk about today. And in particular, I want to look at what our relationship should look like now that we're Christians, now that we're in Christ. So this morning, we're almost at the end of our Together in Christ sermon series, which is going through the book of Ephesians. I think we've got one more to do next week, so this is the second last one. But the passage we're going to look at this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, to chapter 6, verse 9, which basically shows us what relationships in Christ look like. And in this this passage, um, the Apostle Paul homes in on three types of relationship. The marriage relationship, the parent and child relationship, and the slave and master relationship. And I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but uh, once you read it, you'll... You know, know what I'm talking about. But this passage we're about to read can often be a bit controversial, to say the least. But if you can get past that, you'll see that this passage presents a beautiful vision of, of, of like Christ-like relationships. Um, and with so much relationship breakdown in our society today, we need to hear what a passage like this says more than ever. So let's read the passage. Ephesians 5, 21 to 6, 9. It'll appear behind me or you can follow along. In, in your Bible. So start in verse 21 of chapter 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in this way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as christ does the church for we are members of his body for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but i'm talking about christ and the church However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long, uh, enjoy long life on the earth. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So loads in that. Um, I mean, we could do a whole sermon series on this. There is so much in that passage, which I'm not going to be able to go into detail in everything. But basically this morning, I just want to home in on three relationships that Paul talks about in this passage. The marriage relationship, the parent and child relationship, and the slave and master relationship. So firstly, let's look at the marriage relationship, which we see in verses 22 to 33. Now, Paul here basically has some advice for wives, and he has some advice for husbands, too, about how to have good marriages. Now, Paul, like the Apostle Paul, writes some pretty unpopular things in Ephesians. Um, But I think of all the unpopular things he writes in Ephesians, this one probably takes the prize as the most unpopular thing that he wrote, certainly in terms of our culture, because he says, verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. And if you're kind of in any doubt, then he kind of goes and says it again. Verse 24, he's like, yeah, I'm going to say it twice. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, obviously, reading these verses on the surface level can get a lot of people's backs up. Because submission, certainly today, usually triggers people to think of, of like being a doormat or being used and abused uh, and, and not having an opinion. But Paul here is not at all endorsing male oppression of women here. You know, he's very clear in Galatians 3.28 that men and women are equals before God. He's also not saying that all women must submit to all men. You know, this verse is, is, is saying that a woman has to submit to her husband. It's not all women, all men. But it's very easy to just get annoyed at this passage and then miss everything that it says. It's very easy to just get annoyed and and miss the depth of what Paul is trying to get at in these verses. He's saying here, as he says elsewhere, that marriage is this like kind of mysterious thing that isn't just about itself, but it reveals a deeper reality. Marriage is like a a picture or or an enactment of Jesus' relationship with his his church. That's what it's primarily about. It's It's a pointer to something bigger. And that's really important to keep in mind. So the wife, but also, as we'll see, the husband, both have a role to play in reflecting Jesus through their marriage. Okay, so what does this look like in practice? Well, Timothy Keller, the, the pastor of Redeemer Church in New York and author of you know, loads of Christian books, uh, once shared how this looks like in practice for him and his wife, Kathy, who've been married for like 45 years. And he says that, that when it comes to them making decisions, uh, what they often do is they'll have a discussion or many discussions where each of them kind of shares their point of view and almost always through the process, they agree on what decision to make. And he said that very rarely, though, he says, like only a few times in their marriage, there's been an impasse or a kind of like there, there's no agreement taken. And in those situations, he has the deciding vote. And that's how it kind of works out for them this, this passage. 
Now, for Elizabeth and I, it's, it's a little bit similar. When, when we have a decision to make, it's really important for us to have a good conversation about it, to both air our views, to talk through the pros and cons and pray through it. And with us, 99% of the time, we both kind of come to agree on a, on a particular decision. Uh, like, for example, it was like a year or two ago, we were deciding where to send Max to nursery, to keep him in his current nursery, or send him to the school nursery. And we talked that through for months. But we eventually came to a decision, which we both agreed on. That was good. But every now and again, there's, there's, there's a point where we, where we don't agree. There's an impasse. And in those situations, I, I have the deciding vote. I suppose Elizabeth was like, you're kind of like, the head judge and strictly come dancing and I was like yeah really okay yeah that's fine yeah I'll, I'll, I'll take that I don't know what they do but anyway I'm, I'm using the illustration from Elizabeth but anyway but it's it's for us in our relationship it's very rare that that happens but that's what it looks like for us practically to kind of to live to live this out and uh Elizabeth and I, we've been chatting about this this week, this whole passage, and she was saying, you know, it's much easier to submit when you know your husband has your best interests at heart, heart, when you know he wants good for you, when you know he cares for you, when you know he loves you, and I was like, okay, that's all good, Elizabeth, I mean, am I all those things, you know, and she was like, yeah, you're all right, you're all right, okay, okay, fine, okay, good, right. But, um, but that's what Paul says next to the husbands. He says, you know, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, it's really weird. I, I've heard this preached on a few times. And every time I've heard it preached on, they always say, oh, there's the two commands, one to the wife and one to husbands. And uh, the husbands have got a more difficult command. And I remember hearing that thinking, who are you married to? <laughs> You know, like, what? Is it, really? Is it difficult? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I've just, I was kind of thinking, I've, I've, I've often kind of heard that. But basically, what's happening here is you've got, again, you've got this command, husband, love your wives, but it also points to a deeper reality about Jesus and the church. Love our wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, so what does it look like practically for husbands to love their wives? Well, I think quite simply, it's, it's, it's wanting the best for your wife. It's serving her, having her best interests at heart. It's doing things that encourage her, support her, strengthen her in, in who she, she is. And I think that looks different for different people, depending on the season of life they're in. For me, one of the things in the season of life we're in that I do to show love to Elizabeth is I try and take the kids out on a Saturday morning for as long as possible. Normally what I do is I take them to Heaton Park. Not because it's an amazing park, but just because it's far away. And it takes a long time to get there. And I am that guy, 50 miles an hour, around the M60, in the slow lane. Because I'm, like, I'm making this last. We get out, I take a long time getting the parking ticket. When we, when we walk to the play park, we stop. We look at every bug, every beetle, every bird along the way. I just make it last so that we can, we can make it last for as long as possible so that Elizabeth gets a break from the kids because she's had them all week. That's one way I can show love to Elizabeth. I was going to say one other way I show love to Elizabeth is that I get up early sometimes with the kids so that she can have a lie-in, but she won't let me use that because I haven't done it for a while. So, um, so that's more of an aspirational kind of thing there. But, uh, <laughs> so I'm not using that, all right? I'm definitely not using that. Um, but it's different. For, it d- depends what season of life you're in. You know, I know, I know an older guy whose, whose wife got really ill last year. His way of showing love was to go to all the hospital treatments with her. I know another guy who is in church leadership and his wife has a really busy job. And the way he's kind of shown love to his wife is freeing her from lots of the pastor's wife responsibilities there is in church. I do that in inverted commas. But that was just the way he showed her love. 
But I think one of the best ways, not just for husbands to love their wives, but vice versa too, is to, is to point each other to Jesus, especially when hard times come. That's one of the best ways we can show each other love. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, that's all good, but like, what about like abusive relationships? I mean, what about relationships that are, are awful? And I was like, well, with all relationships, yeah, there can be abuse. And, you know, we don't want people to be in those relationships. But the reality is most relationships aren't abusive. Most relationships are just power struggles. That is the best way to describe them. Elizabeth sees it all the time in her role as a marriage counsellor. Two people both trying to get the upper hand in a relationship. Each of them in their own way trying to control the other person so that they can get their own way. It's all about what I can get from the relationship. It's all about my needs being met. That's the primary driver for the two people in the relationship. It's a power struggle. But when we act in the way Paul is talking about here in submission with love and putting each other's interests above our own, Man, that is such a beautiful, uh, Christ-like thing. And, and it's incredibly countercultural. You know, people will see that kind of a relationship and they'll be like, wow, what is this? I want this. I want this. In a recent study in the U.S., social researcher Shanti Feltham found that committed Christians, so those who are active in their church, had a divorce rate that was 27 to 50% lower than non-churchgoers. Dr. Brad Wilcox, director of the National Marriage Project, states that active conservative Protestants, so conservative in theology, so that's us, active conservative Protestants who, tend, who attend church regularly. So I'm going to give everyone at the Heatons the benefit of the doubt. I know nobody's really attending church regularly over summer because we all get loads of holidays. But those who generally attend church regularly, he says, are actually 35% less likely to divorce than those who have no religious preferences. And I think the reason for these statistics is right here in this passage. Submission, love, putting others' needs above your own. This is the Jesus way of doing relationships. It's the countercultural way of doing relationships. It's the way of the kingdom. And it leads to marriages flourishing. You know, as I said, Elizabeth and I have been chatting through this a bit this week. And she said to me, you know, Andy, 10 years ago, I would have really struggled with this passage. You know, like, wives submit your husband. I mean, come on. It's 21st century here. Come on. But she, said, she was saying to me this week, she laughed. After 10 years of marriage and seeing hundreds of struggling couples as a relationship counselor, I've come to see that this is an incredibly important passage, which paints a beautiful picture of a healthy marriage. Okay. So that's the first relationship that Paul focuses on, marriage. It's, it's also the one that reflects Jesus and the church more than any of the others we're going to look at this morning. So there's something unique about that relationship. But let's move on. Second relationship Paul focuses on is the parent and child relationship, which we see in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So this is the one where like, if you're ever in church with your parents, no matter how old you are, maybe it's just me, I don't know, but whenever I've been in church with my parents and this passage is read out, I always got the eyes from my parents, you know? They're like, yeah, you hear that? Apostle Paul? 
Smart guy, him. That's good advice. Children, obey your parents. And I remember my dad doing it to me when I was sitting in church. So it's, that's the passage for that one. But then you can always get him back when it gets to verse 4 and be like, yeah, fathers, don't exasperate your children. And I used to be like, yeah, dad, take that from the Apostle Paul. But anyway, I think we often think about this when we hear this verse. We often think about like young children, uh, and it applies to that. But, you know, we don't stop being the children of our parents when we turn 18. You know, so this applies to us no matter how old we are. And often it can be a challenge to honor your parents when they get older. You know, as a like, come on, mom, like how many times do I have to show you how to use your phone? You know, there, there's things that can be frustrating. But when we do this, when we honor and obey our parents, no matter how old we are, that brings blessing, Paul says. Now, again, the question arises, what if your parents are abusive? Well, that's a whole other thing, and that's a sermon for another day. But I think most parents, though, are generally good in that they're at least trying to do the right thing in how they raise their kids. So it applies in that sense. But as I said, Paul also warns fathers not to exasperate their children, which we see in verse 4, but to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And I think that means we're not to like mock our children or belittle them or beat them down or make them feel small. You know, we're to encourage them. We're to instruct them, you know, we're to teach them the Bible, we're to teach them how to pray, we're to show them the value of church, we're to show them the value of a relationship with Jesus. You know, Elizabeth, just yesterday, I, I could hear her downstairs um, basically telling Max off for doing something wrong. I don't know what he'd done. He hadn't listened. He hadn't. So she's like, I want to hear is Elizabeth going, Max, I don't know what to do with you when you're this disobedient. And Max just says, yes, you do. And Elizabeth's just like, again, always talking back, always talking back. So Elizabeth, like, just thought, okay, what, Max? What should I do? Quick as a flash, Max says, you should pray. (laughs) And Elizabeth's like, okay then, Max. You pray first, then I'll pray. And Max prayed (laughs) that that he would be less disobedient. And then Elizabeth prayed. And it was a wonderful little time of instruction, which, and I was just thinking, you know, sometimes the opportunities for training children doesn't come at the times that we plan for them. Sometimes they come at very awkward times, but we've got to grab those opportunities when they come. Um, But basically, Max, he's seen something in Elizabeth that prayer is important, and he's started to internalize that. When a problem comes, you pray. Um, now, I realize that when we start talking about, you know, kids and parents and all that kind of stuff, it can be a bit discouraging because you can think, oh, my kids, man, they're so disobedient. They never listen to this. And it can be a bit like, oh, man, this. But I just, I think actually with these kind of things, I don't think it's about us being discouraged. I think it's about just bringing our kids before the Lord and just praying for them. That is the key in all of this. Bringing our kids before God and praying for them that he would... Yeah, that he would grow them up to, to, to follow him and live and live for him. So that's the second relationship Paul focuses on, the parent-child relationship. The third relationship he focuses on, the final one, is the slave and master relationship, which we see in verses 5 to 9. Verse 5 says, Slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, this is by no means an endorsement of slavery by Paul here, but all it is is simply a recognition that it existed at the time that he wrote this. And this was just an attempt to apply God's truth into this particular relationship. So this is not like a political kind of treatise here. He's just trying to apply God's truth into this relationship that existed at that time. 
Now, although the circumstances aren't the same, the, the principles here in this case do have some application in a workplace setting for us as employers, as employees. Now, I think the kind of the, the applications that come out of this for employees is, you know, obey your boss and not just while they're looking, but, you know, while they're not looking as well. Um, you know, while you're working at home, not just while you're in the office. Also, work wholeheartedly as if you're working for Jesus himself. I remember uh, I used to work in a leisure center as a pool lifeguard. And man alive, the staff were so lazy. Like, you'd get sent to clean a changing room and, like, Someone would open the door, walk in, look, that's ah, fine, not do it. The amount of times jobs were just not done because the boss couldn't see you, so you didn't do it. And I got quite convicted about that after being there a few weeks. And I think I became, after a while, I became the weird guy who actually did stuff, um, which kind of set me out. But it's this thing of like, yeah, we've got to obey and work hard even while our boss is not looking at us or while he is and work wholeheartedly as if for Jesus. But also there's a message here for bosses. So for people who are Christians and run companies and have staff, and the message here from Paul is, hey, treat your employees well. I remember uh, hearing at a conference one time, a pastor <laughs> stand up at the front, and it was a conference of like Christian business leaders. And he was like, and he just basically stood up and said to all these Christian business leaders, people who had, who had companies and staff, he said, look, give less money to the church and pay your staff better. And that was his message. And it was like, wow, okay. It's like, you know, yeah, lower your tithe and pay your staff better. And I mean, very interesting, but it was basically saying, look, treat your staff well. You've got a responsibility to do that as, as Christians. But I think there's something in this also of, you know, often if we don't like a job we're in, or if our boss is tricky or there's not clear progression, we just instantly think, okay, look for another job, okay? And to an extent, that's fine. But I, I just wonder if sometimes when we do that, we actually miss great opportunities to reflect Jesus in the difficult situation that we're in, to our work colleagues, to our boss. That opportunity arises to kind of be different and for them to see that. Now, obviously, as with all other relationships, we're not talking about staying in toxic or abusing work settings. That's not what this is about. But sometimes staying brings great opportunities to reflect Jesus in that place. So that's how we're to live out our, our marriage, our family, and our work relationships now that we're in Christ, in humble, gentle submission to one another. Why? Because of the reverence, because of our reverence for Christ, which we see in verse 21. Because after all, he's the ultimate example of submission. Like it says in Philippians 2, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus didn't use his equality with a father to his own advantage, but made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So there's something in submission that goes against, there's something that goes against everything that's in us. You know, we don't like to submit, you know, and, and we don't see loads of examples of it in the world around us. Like, just think of like the, the race to become the next prime minister. It's all about grabbing power. It's not about submitting. And, you know, submitting has so many negative connotations, but it reflects so much of God's kingdom, which is completely different to how the world and worldly kingdoms operate. And also, it's what we're going to be doing in heaven, you know, so we might as well get used to doing it now. Submitting, is, it's, it's hard, but it's so worth striving for. Now, I don't know, perhaps maybe some of you here today and, and you're sitting here and, and this has maybe touched a nerve, you've realized hey, look, there's some relationships in your life where you've, 
where you've not lived out this gentle submission described in this passage. And if that's you, then I think now's a time to confess that to God. Don't worry, we're not going to get you up to the front and publicly do it. But I think there's a time of confession and repentance. 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it's not just about repentance. It's about change too. You know, it's so easy to to listen to this and be like, oh gosh, there's just so much in my attitude and the way I relate to people that I need to change. The task is just too big. I mean, I just don't know where to start, you know? Well, the only way we can see change and the only way we can see progress in these areas is by being filled with the Holy Spirit, by asking the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to renew us, to refresh us and to empower us to be able to do this.